What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking my favorite hometown, Cleveland sports, with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. Just, uh, I'm not, I'm not too bummed about the Buckeyes like most people in Ohio are because, as you know, last podcast, I kind of saw this coming. Yeah, I mean, this was, they got, obviously they got really close, so I can, I understand why a lot of people are upset. They're probably the fifth team, and, and the rankings reflect that, the, the team looking closest uh to the inside from the outside looking in um so yeah definitely unfortunate but um chris you are a realist and you did uh predict this outcome uh given uh the dominoes that fell during the championship games so uh, obviously we are talking uh as our main talk topic uh the college football playoff field has been finished buckeyes on the outside looking in alabama grabbing that uh hotly debated and contested fourth seed as the final team invited to the college football playoff. So Chris, for this podcast sake, was this the right call? I think so. And and it's a lot closer than I thought it would be last week because over the course of a week, I really looked a lot closer at some of these teams like Alabama. Bob, Alabama finished with a weaker strength of schedule than Ohio State. Um, I, you know, if you want to talk about strength of record and things like that, Alabama was ahead of them. But but that, that to me, jumped out a little bit. And it started ma- getting me to think, well, maybe, maybe Ohio State could creep up there. But I can't get over one thing, Bob, and that's a 31-point loss to Iowa. I think, Bob, if, if, if Ohio State had lost on a last-second field goal or looked competitive in that game or even a seven-point loss... I think they might be in because you look at the two teams. Alabama's only loss was to Auburn. Ohio State's only loss was to Oklahoma. Alabama probably a little bit better loss to Auburn than uh, Ohio State's to Oklahoma because Ohio State's came at home a little bit larger margin. Ohio State had the conference title, had a slightly tougher overall strength of schedule, had some really good wins against you know Michigan State, Penn State, and Wisconsin. Surprisingly, more top 25 wins than than Alabama and more top 20 wins than Alabama. But that loss to Iowa, man, you cannot lose by 31 points and look lost against a team that's 7-5. I'm sorry, and I think that that is ultimately what sunk them, and that was my biggest reservation about Ohio State going into the conference championship week, that that ultimately, yeah, not only did they have more losses than Alabama, the one extra loss was a huge, huge black eye on their resume. Bob, I think if they play Iowa competitively, even in a loss they're in, I think the fact that they just got blasted 31 points, that doomed them. Yeah, I think you're touching on on the point that that I also want, want to talk about. I think uh, both these teams, obviously, uh, finishing fourth and fifth in the college football playoff ranking, it came down to Ohio State and Alabama. I think both of them, objectively, on their resume, had had a case to 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 be invited to the playoff. I think if uh, 
the the votes fell for Ohio State, and they were invited. And Alabama was uh, on the outside. I think everyone would would find that justifiable, uh, just as I find Alabama being invited over Ohio State justifiable. I think when when the two teams were ranked equally in terms of resume and credentials to get invited, the committee really started to dive into answering the question, who do they think is the better team? And I think, uh, yes, the Iowa loss is a huge sore spot and, and certainly does not speak towards Ohio State's case to being the better team with, with Alabama's only loss coming on the road against their rival, uh, a team that seemed to have a, a near unbeatable streak at home in the second half, beating both Georgia and, and Alabama in, in such a short time span. And then looking, you know, beatable, obviously beatable uh, in a neutral game in a rematch against Georgia. Um, so, yes, the, the Iowa loss, uh, a huge black eye. And even, Chris, I, I brought it up a couple times, but dating back to last year's playoff, the, the shutout against Clemson, you know, you, you look at the two Ohio State's two previous out-of-conference games against big-time uh, opponents in Clemson and Oklahoma and Ohio State uh, got beat handedly in both of those, and both those teams are playoff teams. So I think Alabama was just valued as a better team when there was a tie between Ohio State and Alabama's credentials. I think Alabama in the regular season this year has been one of the more consistent teams winning pretty easily against all their opponents, and Ohio State has fluctuated a little bit up and down and has uh, at times, you know, looked beatable that certainly you know needed all their strength and talent to, to beat uh penn state um and, and there have been other times where uh, they seem to have struggled a little bit where, where they shouldn't have so i think when it came down to it there was a tie in terms of credentials and alabama was just valued as as the better stronger team uh overall yeah i agree with most everything you said but but i hope that the committee did not factor the Clemson shutout into their thought process for, for the reason that it happened technically last year to a different Ohio State team and a different Clemson team. I don't believe, I know some people like to think that last year influences the next, and maybe it does, but I like to think that the committee's job is to block all of that out and evaluate what happened to this Ohio State and this Alabama team and not allow previous incarnations of these teams to influence the decision for 2017. Um, certainly, you know, Alabama-Clemson was an intense national championship. Ohio State-Clemson was a terrible semifinal. But those were three different teams. They all lost a, a senior class. You know, Deshaun Watson's not on Clemson anymore. Number A lot of other talent to the NFL. I don't think that the Clemson loss in the semifinal had anything to do with this decision. I, I think the committee still made the right decision, and I think that Ohio State losing by 31 points to Iowa, I mean, you, you just cannot do that and then you know, turn around and say we deserve to be in the playoff. That that was your game right there. And and I, I do I'll say it again. I think if that were a close loss to Iowa on the road, maybe they're in because then that conference championship might shine a little brighter. But to get blasted by by a mediocre team the way they did, um because I mean losses like that happen. Clemson lost to Syracuse, Miami lost to Pitt. 
those things happen. But you can't lose terribly to those kind of teams. And I think ultimately that that was the differentiator between these two teams. Yeah, I I, I think I, that Iowa loss certainly had a, had a large part to play in it. Um, I I just I I think it's naive to think that the the shutout in the college football playoff with OSU being the first you know setting a precedent in how they were invited last year I think it's naive not to say that played some factor in favoring Alabama who has you know gone to every single college football playoff and uh, has participated in both championship games uh, over the past two years uh, I think it's naive to say that that didn't play a at least some part or influence some of the voters uh, in, in how this playoff fell. Yeah, I, I just I think the committee's job is to not let it play a factor. And and again, look, I, I'm not saying that it didn't. I don't know, but I hope that the committee, in their professional capacity, could objectively look at a single season because again, what that Ohio State team did in 2016 has no bearing on this team. There, there, it is a different incarnation of Ohio State, and it should not. this incarnation should not be punished for what that one did. It's a, it's a completely different season, a completely different year. Um, but, Bob, we are kind of breaking. You mentioned that Ohio State was the first exception. Alabama would be the second exception, and the SEC would also be the first exception to having uh, – two teams from the same conference in the national championship, something I know SEC fans had been salivating over ever since the playoffs started after their long run of success in the national title. Um, so the last two seasons have produced kind of uh, some, some, some exceptions from the norm. The first two seasons was pretty chalk, four clear-cut conference champions. But the last two years, we've started to see how the committee is going to evaluate some of these um, – differentiating factors in some of these unique circumstances and 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 it's just interesting to see that for the second straight year not only do we have one non-conference champion in but we have another new wrinkle one conference has two teams represented yeah it's interesting um and i think that uh this kind of exception uh would only happen for a handful of teams and alabama being one of them uh just from the, the history of success that they've had in the playoff and also uh, you know in the the BCS era leading into the playoff I just think that uh, they definitely have a, a leg up in terms of when all the credentials and and, and resume pieces uh, equate in a tie and you're going to truly evaluate teams on who is better I, I think Alabama is one of those handful of teams that uh, has a clear advantage and, and you know rightfully so I mean w- with the success they've had so I don't think it's you know this doesn't speak to conference dominance more so than uh, it speaks to Alabama's personal dominance I, I think if the roles were reversed and Georgia uh, w- was not the conference champion with a one loss I, I don't think that it would have been a done deal that that Georgia would have been that fourth invite. I just think Alabama gets a lot of leeway and credit. Um, and you can call that bias or you can call it a lot of things. I don't think it's conference bias. I think it's Alabama bias at this point. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you. Alabama and Ohio State are two teams that get leeway, certainly. Um, I also think in this day and age, with conferences stretching you know, their waistbands, so to speak, 
The Big Ten, the ACC, the SEC have 14 teams now, Bob. And, and even though most of them play a nine-game conference schedule, look at Wisconsin's a perfect example. You can play in a Power Five conference and still have an overall strength of schedule that's on par with the likes of uh, UCF. Penn State had a strength of schedule rating of 60 So, as well. So, uh, you know, just because you play in a Power Five conference doesn't mean you're going to play all the good teams in the Power Five conference. You, you could get in a division that's really easy. Now, Alabama... I think is in the tougher of the two SEC divisions, but it's pretty surprising to see their strength of schedule down there at 47. Um, that, that's got to be one of the lower ones for an SEC team. And, and I just said Alabama plays in a weaker division, but Bob Georgia had the 17th rated strength of schedule because they went out and scheduled Notre Dame. So just because you're in the tough conference doesn't necessarily mean you're playing a tough schedule. So I, I do think the committee has a tougher task now than maybe five years ago when these conferences were only about 12 teams. You could cycle through some of these teams easier and actually challenge yourself in conference because you were going through a meat grinder. Now I think it's a little easy to avoid some of the good teams. For sure. And, and to, I mean, I understand that 47th strength of schedule ranking, but to to Alabama's credit, they they did have that Florida State game uh, at a time where where the team looked radically different. So I think if Florida State's season was the, at the level of success that we've seen in years past, you know th- their strength of schedule would, would have been a lot better. Um, it's, and I think the committee recognized that you know Alabama did not hide in their in their out of conference schedule, just like Ohio State with that Oklahoma game that they went and and. And scheduled an out of conference blue blood game against Florida State, um, and so you know Alabama and Ohio State both have kind of led the way in scheduling those marquee games every year for out of conference play uh, because uh, they recognize the, the need for that in differentiating themselves uh, when they don't get uh, a whole lot of ranked opponents in their division schedule. No, and I totally agree with that, and, and actually I like that this committee has placed such an emphasis on that because it is forcing conferences to enact policies like we're not going to schedule FCS anymore. We're only going to schedule FBS. You have to schedule at least one Power 5 team. Things like that to, to start getting the quality of games up. And uh, also to your point, credit Alabama for going out and scheduling Fresno State because that is a very powerful mid-major that most of the times... Uh, these big schools are afraid to play, and Fresno State was in the Mountain West Championship game, had beaten Boise State the year before, was actually in the top 25, dropped out after the loss. So I credit Alabama for not just scheduling Florida State, but also going out and scheduling a powerful mid-major too. Um, so yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you put that Florida State win in perspective because as, as I said last week on the podcast, they were the only team to beat Florida State at its full strength uh the quarterback got hurt late in that game and and then their season just spiraled out of control so so obviously it was a different Florida State team that Alabama faced that everyone else did yeah certainly I think that was a a 1v2 game at the start of season um correct me if I'm wrong it could it could have been three I thought Clemson was number two because they were defending chance but I I, it was it was easily a top three matchup yeah certainly was the game of the week at that point um so, Chris, uh, you know, we this, I'd say three out of the four years we've had a hotly contested debate 
for that fourth spot in the college football playoff. Um, you know, even the first year with the Big 12 uh, on the odd man out, uh, last year with the debate over Penn State and Ohio State, now this year Alabama versus Ohio State, um, just like we've had hotly contested debates in the BCS era as to who should be that number two seed invited to the national title game, uh, that the that was answered with making the, it a four-team playoff. Uh, do you think that uh, these concerns w- would be answered and uh, there would be less debate about who should be invited to the college football playoff uh, if they expand the playoff? Well, to answer your question about there being less debate, no way. There will never be less debate. This thing could go to 128. I know there's only like 130 schools, and they'd still debate about the two schools being left out. Bob, every March we debate about number 68 and 69 in March Madness, and we have an hour and a half long reveal show for the March Madness bracket that lets in 68 teams. So you think going to eight's going to solve all the debate problems? <laughs> Heck no. This thing, the debate will never end. Ohio State fans are still going to be debating Alabama fans September 1st, 2018 when the season's about to kick off again. So no matter how big this thing gets, and it will get bigger, um, the debate's never going to end. But but to answer your question, obviously, if you let eight teams in, it um, makes it easier to accept. I think my biggest problem with the four-team playoff is this. It is extremely hard to be a Power 5 champion. There is currently no undefeated team from the power five the only undefeated team is UCF who by the way played more teams in the top 25 than Wisconsin did it's tough it is it is a very tough thing to do and I kind of have a problem with every year one of these champions being left out to me the perfect system is an 18 playoff that automatically allows the power five champion to qualify because that way there is no debate. You can play your way in and every conference is represented. Because to me, that's the fun part of college football is seeing these regional matchups. Is the Pac-12 champ better than the Big Ten and blah, blah, blah. That to me would be fun because then you'd have five, the five champions and then you'd have three wild cards to allocate as you please. If you even wanted to throw in a a qualification that the best champion amongst the lower five conferences gets in so that way they also have a chance to play their way in because that's the other thing I don't like about this system is that it excludes half of college football and I would like to see a 12-0 UCF have a shot like give the team a chance to win the national title they've won every game they're a conference champion too You know, Boise State back in the day had to face these same problems. It would have been entertaining to see the college football playoff 10 years ago because I think the Broncos would have uh, qualified a couple times. And my last point to that point will be just look at TCU. You think these mid-majors can't play? They left the Mountain West for the Big 12 and are doing just fine. So I think for me, the perfect system would be eight. Automatic bids for the Power Five. These conference championships then become de facto round of 16 games. Three wild cards with the possibility of maybe a a, a qualification for the lower five and uh, getting an automatic bid if if they're a high-rated conference champion. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I, I think the biggest 
point uh, of expanding to eight is that you include all the power five champions. I, I think it's unfair that, you know, the debate came down to Ohio state and Alabama and USC wasn't even in the question and, and they were the PAC 12 champion. Um, it, it seems really, really odd that they, they did what they, what, uh, you know, they, they, they wanted to do in, in winning a conference champion. They had two losses, uh, as, as many as Ohio state, but uh, they weren't even in the question. And I understand, you know, schedules and, uh, wins against ranked opponents and whatnot, but, um, they they deserve it as does an undefeated UCF team, um, who, uh, has some quality wins on, on their schedule as well. Uh, I think they both deserve a shot at least to, to show what they're worth against the, the rest of the season's best and, and prove that they belong. And I think that the answer, uh, as you alluded to is an 18 playoff, Bob, USC's only two losses, Notre Dame, and Washington State, two teams in the top 20. Their strength of schedule is 11th. That's higher than Alabama and Ohio State. I I do think it was kind of odd that USC was so far removed from this debate. I would think that they were more attractive than Wisconsin, uh, given that they won their league, had a much tougher strength of schedule. Um, so, So I agree with you there. I was surprised that USC didn't generate more conversation uh, around it yeah and it, i mean usc is not like a it's not like washington <laughs> last year i mean that it's usc they're one of the more popular college football teams so very odd that they weren't even really me- mentioned in, in the debate uh, but an 18 playoff w- w- would solve that issue um speaking of usc uh with ohio state not going to the playoff as well as usc uh, they will face off against each other in, in the Cotton Bowl, a battle, basically a de facto Rose Bowl, uh, Pac-12 champion versus Big Ten champion. Um, given how OSU finished out the year and how USC finished out the year, uh, what do you expect in that matchup? Well, this game would be played in the Rose Bowl had the Rose Bowl not been a playoff game because they were both the respective champions of the Rose Bowl representatives. Um, what I expect is kind of a contrast in styles. Ohio State's going to try to run the ball and establish their kind of option game, and USC is going to obviously try to throw the ball because they have one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, if not the best quarterback in the nation, in Sam Darnold. So it's going to be very interesting to see these two kind of clashing styles. Don't underestimate USC's running game either. Ronald Jones the second has uh, nearly 1,500 yards on the year. So it's not like USC is just a one-trick pony, uh, but certainly uh, being 19th in the nation in passing, uh, obviously a team that, that likes to run a more uh, up-tempo kind of throwing the ball offense, excuse me, stretching the field with their offense. <laughs> Gosh, Bob, I'm just stumbling over everything right now. But, the, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this matchup. The thing I'm I'm most looking forward to, Bob, my one gripe about the Pac-10 Big Ten Rose Bowl is that the Big Ten has to travel across a country to face the Pac-12. I, I, kept, I just called it the Pac-10, but it's now the Pac-12. I'm old school, I guess. And like I said, I've been stumbling over everything, so it's just the way it goes. That's basically a home game for teams like USC and UCLA. I mean, heck, it's in UCLA Stadium. Yeah. We're now in a middle field, middle of the country. 
this is truly going to be a neutral site. So so instead of playing kind of a Pac-12 home game, we're going to see two teams meet in the middle, and, and that factor won't be in play. So so I, I, I think that Ohio State has a better shot at beating USC in this game. If it were in California, very tough to beat those uh, California teams in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- this matchup has to excite you as a college football fan. I mean, this is a classic uh matchup a classic Rose Bowl matchup of the Trojan versus the Buckeyes um just in a different setting in Texas uh so it'll be interesting uh to see how that plays out um I, I'm excited as well as a Cleveland fan uh to to see Sam Darnold uh play against a, a really talented Buckeyes defense a guy that the Browns potentially could draft next year so uh lots to be excited for and uh when USC played Penn State in the Rose Bowl last year uh, that was possibly the game of the bowl season uh not counting the, the playoffs uh very exciting so I, I think we're set for another similar matchup uh you know they had contrasting styles as well uh i i think it'll be a high scoring game and, and really fun to watch uh it seemed really obvious once the playoff field was set with osu and, and usc odd men out and, and conference champions that they were going to meet up in some kind of bowl uh, just a matter of which one because the Rose Bowl is being used for the playoffs. Yeah, and it's contractually obligated that the Pac-12 and Big Ten champion meet in the Rose Bowl or another New Year's Six Bowl on the event the uh, Rose Bowl is being used for the semifinals. So, yeah, that, that – So it seemed – so it was inevitable. Yeah, it was inevitable. <laughs> it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't odd. It wasn't chance. It was definitely going to happen. Uh, so uh, the, the, we, it, once, once the playoff field was announced, it was pretty clear you, Ohio State and USC were going to get together. But uh, the bull matchup I'm most angry about, and I know the contracts have to play into it. I get it. Miami versus UCF in the Orange Bowl. I feel like that was an easy one to do. I understand. I'm sure the contracts and the bull tie-ins screwed it up, but man, that would have been that would have been awesome. Miami UCF in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, uh, that that definitely would have been nice to see a battle of Florida, uh, especially the. I mean, Miami uh, is resurgent, but has been a power in years past. So UCF certainly an upstart. Um, probably Miami's probably happy that didn't happen just to mitigate the risk of, of a potential upset um, in what has been a banner year for them. Uh, but for the fans, that certainly would have been uh, a matchup made in heaven. Um, but UCF drawing Auburn, uh, I think that'll be a really intriguing game as well as Miami versus Wisconsin. Um, I don't know. I'm not as excited uh, watching those two teams go at it, but uh, I'm sure it'll be a good game, two top 10 teams. I would have loved to see Wisconsin's defense against Auburn's offense. That would have been a great matchup. And then, of course, the battle for Florida, UCF, Miami, and the Orange Bowl. Come on, man. They could Come on, committee. You could, have, you could have made it happen. It would have been perfect. But, unfortunately, screwed it up a little bit. But they did not screw up the playoff field. They got the right four teams where it counts, and that's really all that matters. And I don't even think they screwed up. I think it just has to do with the bull tie-in contracts because they are required to follow bull tie-ins and make them happen whenever possible. So like with USC and Ohio State, they are still required to honor that commitment to the Rose Bowl just in another New Year's Six. So I'm certain that the committee was boxed into a set of rules by the bowl people, yeah. and that's why this didn't happen. Yeah. 18 playoff would solve some of that issue too. Oh, most definitely. It would be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah well as an aside uh the sweeney household 
in Nashville uh, is happy, and my in-laws are very happy uh, with the results of the playoff field. I told your wife not to worry if Georgia won out. Yeah, yeah. I think that helped uh, calm some 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 nerves. Um, I did want to uh, bring up, you know, one of our very first podcasts uh, when we first started recording. We did a big recruiting day uh, special. We we talked a lot about National Signing Day, uh, and one of the guys we talked a lot about was Roquan Smith. Uh, he's originally verbally committed to UCLA. He was a Georgia native. Uh, didn't sign on National Signing Day. Didn't sign that letter of content, which contractually obligated him to go to UCLA. Intent, not content, uh, Bob. Come on now. <laughs> can, <laughs> I thought I said intent. Uh, ends up the guy that recruited him leaves that se- same season, so he you know decommits verbally and signs a, a scholarship offer with Georgia. Uh, Rokon Smith was SEC Championship MVP this past Saturday, and he won the Buck Kiss Award on Sunday as the nation's best linebacker. So. Uh, just, I, I remember talking about him a lot on that podcast. And I think, you know, three years later, he's uh, taking home some hardware and is going to play in the college football playoff uh, national signing day. Obviously, uh, for as much as we overhype it, it's still uh, an important day for getting those prized recruits. I, I have a feeling the NFL is in his future too. Yes. Yeah. He, yep. Yeah, he, he's quite, quite the player. But, all right. Well, college football playoff field is set the bowl schedules are set uh in the coming weeks we will certainly do our uh annual bowl pick uh stay tuned for that but chris right now we will move on to some news in cleveland the Cavs are streaking winners of 11 straight are in uh, position as that second seed only three and a half games behind boston for that number one seed um you know chris <laughs> just three weeks ago we were talking about the Cavs uh, might have to tear this thing down already. Uh, they, they've answered that with 11 straight wins uh, and are, you know, seem to be cruising and have alleviated all fears. Uh, this upcoming docket of games, Bulls, Kings, Pacers, 76ers, uh, do you see them uh, losing uh, within this week? I mean, I, I think smart money's on yes, and the one to circle is either that Pacers or 76ers game back-to-back, playing the 76ers on a back-to-back. That's not easy. They're the fifth seed at 13-9. and nine. So uh, I, I don't think that they will come out of this week unscathed just because 11 straight's hard enough to do as it is. And, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, they got the Bulls and the Kings coming up. I would think 13's a realistic expectation, and then you'll probably see it end on one of those two games. But Bob, the Cavs are firing on all cylinder, and, and Bob, it's hard to believe they were five and seven before this streak started. The sky was falling in Cleveland because Boston was winning, couldn't seem to lose, and Cleveland couldn't seem to win. And now they're three and a half games out of first, and the Celtics have cooled off a bit. They're still 20 and four, but they've cooled off. Uh, Everything is fine. It's still not even January yet. So, you know, things are going great for the Cavs, but particularly for a guy named LeBron James. I mean, when things when are things not going great for him? But in the last 10 games, he's shooting 57.5% from the field, averaging about 8.6 rebounds, 8.8 assists, 1.2 blocks, 1.2 steals, and 28 points. This man... Yeah is on a mission now. His PER is up to 31.31. 31. 
uh, certainly one of the tops in the NBA, and he is starting to play like MVP LeBron James. And Bob, if he keeps this up, your prediction about him winning MVP just might come true because this this is vintage LeBron over these yeah. last 11 games. Yeah, it's looking good. And obviously, uh, to come Eastern Conference Player of the Month uh, for, for November, due in part to that win streak and, and the stats that uh, he's put up in that. I think it's really likely... I, I'm all. If I were to bet, I would bet on the Cavs losing this week. Uh, the the amazing thing for me is that yes, LeBron James has been lights out during this 11 game win streak, but the Cavs, I, I don't think they're firing on all cylinders. I mean, they have played down to their competition during this win streak. They've won some really close games. I, I think that the docket of games uh, this week, uh, you know, three easy, what should be easy teams for the Cavs. I think they're just going to take a game off. Um, I think it's time to, to even rest LeBron. I mean, he's got a really high usage rate this year, and they've righted the ship. They've quelled all fears, uh, have shown the Eastern Conference that, yeah, they're still going to be one of the top two teams in, in the conference and probably the team to beat come playoff time. Uh, you know, the Cavs don't care about the regular season, but they uh, have faced such mediocre competition and LeBron is on such a hot streak that they, they've gone off and, and won 11 games uh, due in part because they're, they're, that, they're that talented but uh, I don't think we're, we're seeing the best basketball the Cavs can play despite going on an 11 game win streak I, I do think they're going to lose this week yeah and you raised a good point the Cavs notoriously don't care about the regular season it'll be interesting to see how they approach that back-to-back with Philadelphia I could see them maybe taking their foot off the pedal if they need to get some guys some rest it is still just December um but back-to-backs are tough anyway and and, and a brutal back-to-back you got your division rival in Indiana and then the upstart 76ers I think smart money is they take care of business against the Bulls and the Kings and probably split with the those other two teams yeah I, I could see that I mean I'm not going to predict every single game, but I think a loss is in the cards this week. I am, Bob. Um, I am. <laughs> well, uh, Cavs getting uh, some some clarity at the point guard position. Derek Rose informing the team that he will come back. He wants to come back uh, to the Cavs roster and play this year. Uh, Ty Lue said it, he won't rejoin the team for a couple weeks now, or he won't see playing time for a couple weeks, but Derek Rose intends to return and play for the Cavs this year. Uh, Chris, I thought he was done. I thought he was going to retire. Um, what What are you? I mean, this is obviously good news for 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 the point guard starved Cavs, right? Oh, very good news. Point guard is easily their position of weakness right now, and to have Derrick Rose committing to come coming back, even if it's a couple weeks away, who cares? Um, let him get right. Let him get healthy. Let him get back. And so, again, like we've said over and over again, it's not even January yet. So the fact that he needs a couple more weeks is fine. But great news because they they have no depth at point guard right now with Isaiah Thomas also injured and working his way back as well. Uh, It seems like his return might be hitting the more optimistic timetable, which is, again, good news. But take your time with both of them. Make sure they're right for when it counts. Um, but that, but yeah, it's it's great news because they need Derrick Rose because they they do not have any depth at the point guard position uh, with their top two options hurt right now. Yeah, it's good news. Uh, you know, I, I will say in the games I've watched on this win streak, uh, Jose Calderon has looked passable and, and at least highlights the need for a competent point guard. When when they finally inserted him, they 
they were just playing more fluent basketball. Yeah, he's, he's only played like 15 minutes a game. Uh, and Dwayne Wade coming off the bench, I mean, he's been r- really hot as well, uh, leading that second unit. And that second unit has really uh, kind of led the charge on this win streak. They've been playing some really fun, selfless basketball. So, um, yeah, good news that Derrick Rose is coming back. Uh, looks like they'll get two good point guards uh, within two months' time back on this roster. Uh, things are, are shaping up for them. Uh, you know, they could be even better and they're in the midst of an 11-game win streak. So everything's on the up and up for the Cavs. And that's the key, Bob. They're on an 11-game winning streak. They still haven't had Isaiah Thomas back yet. So you're right. They, there's room for improvement on this team right there and, and to the points you already made earlier. that This team has won 11 games, and it might not be playing its best basketball. That should put everyone in the East on notice and uh, – I, I certainly think the Cavs have reestablished themselves as the team to beat in the East with all due respect to Boston. All right. We put it off long enough, but we are going to wrap up with some Cleveland Browns news. Uh, Chris, the Browns are 0-12, losing what was a hopeful first win against the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, did you have a chance to watch this game? What's your takeaway from it? I did not have a chance to watch this game. Um but had I watched this game, I probably would not be happy with what the Browns did. Uh, I told you off a mic that I turned the radio on in the fourth quarter only to hear the the nail in the coffin turnover that Deshaun Kaiser made to seal the fate, even though they still had a shot, only, you know, down nine. But uh yeah, this was a regression for Deshaun Kaiser. I mean, he didn't even complete 50% of his passes through an interception. Was also sacked three times. Um, I mean, we were just talking about how he may have turned the corner a week ago. It's very discouraging to see that. Um, now, Bob, why is Isaiah Crowell only getting 10 carries? I, we, we, we're asking the same things every single week, and that, that, that's the problem. I feel like it's just this endless cycle of no adjusting, no adjusting. They're not even trying anything new. It's just the same old losing stuff. Keenan Allen went off, 10 catches, 105 yards. Phillip Rivers, 344 yards, 31 of 43. I mean, the Cavs are just fine. I mean, not the Cavs. The, the, the Browns are just not firing on all cylinders. And uh, the only bright spot was uh, Josh Gordon, four catches, 85 yards on 11 targets. So clearly they wanted to get him involved. Basically, after going about two years away from football, he came back, and, and that's a very solid debut considering all the time he's missed. Yeah, I mean, great to see him back, but what does it say about the Browns? I heard rumors that in the weeks of him training with the Browns leading up to the, his debut of this season that despite being out of the league for so long, he is already probably the Browns' best offensive weapon and player and has looked that part uh, in the week's training for this game. Um, great to see him back, you know, four receptions, 85 yards, uh, you know, definitely a satisfying moment. But it comes at a time where Corey Coleman doesn't even register a catch. Uh, I just need more consistency from this offense. You touched upon the run game. You know, I'm done talking about it. Like it's, you know, Hugh Jackson is the offensive coordinator. There's no excuse for you know, I can't pass, pass the blame to anybody else at this point. And, you know, coming in as a hire, he was supposed to be a, an offensive mind and a quarterback guru. Um, 
maybe Kaiser is his biggest challenge that he's had to face yet, but I just don't see any improvement from him. I don't see any easy play calling for, for the Browns. I mean, Isaiah Crowell, the Browns were never out of this game. You, you could commit to the run. You could give him more than 10 carries. You know, he averaged 4.1 yards per touch. I, I, I don't understand it. Um, but yeah, Josh Gordon was a highlight on the offense, as was David Njoku for reception, 74 yards and a touchdown. He looks really good. I, I'm really, you know, that was a, a questionable draft choice for me for them to trade back in and, and take him, uh, the third tight end taken in the first round. But um, he's definitely delivered on, er, and looks to continue to deliver on the promise of that draft pick. But uh, Philip Rivers, you know, vintage Philip Rivers shredding the, the Browns offense. Melvin Gordon, you know, they fed him, got, got him 19 carries, and, and the offense uh, didn't put up a lot of points, but when it came down to it, they could do whatever they wanted to do against the Browns. Bob, I'm not going to lie, I'm starting to get a little nervous about my Browns are going to win two games prediction. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, we, we both are putting our money on the Green Bay game, which is next week, but uh, Green Bay looks like they're figuring things out with, with uh, Brett Hudley under center. I'm bailing on that one. Packers are going to win. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I, I see the iceberg. I'm jumping off the ship before all the lifeboats are gone. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, obviously this wasn't a game that we circled at the start of the year with Aaron Rodgers healthy. Uh, we thought this was going to be a loss. I'm sticking with it. I mean, I said if they're going to win a game, it'll be against Green Bay. Might as well ride that out. I can be wrong one week out of the 15 other times I pick them to lose. That's okay. Um, I'm hopeful that they win. I'm hopeful that the Browns defense, which has been good and and has limited uh, some some star players this year, uh, can give Brett Hudley some some fits, and, and the Browns can just put together some a couple competent offensive drives uh, and win a close game. But I, I'm i getting less and less optimistic about this game. Bob, I think the Browns' only chance for a win is if they see Landry Jones in Week 17. <laughs> I don't – yeah. But I mean, if you're the Steelers I don't think... and you've clinched out, do you rest your starters against an 0-15 team? I, th- I think so. I, I Honestly, I think the Steelers resting their – you can't rest all your starters. You can only rest your stars. So, you know, the second unit of the Steelers with some of those starters, I, I, they could beat the Browns easily. Well, they did last year. So, I don't exactly. think they're too worried. But but still, I mean, do you want to be that team that lost to the 0-15 team? I think that would be interesting. It would be a little intriguing if, if it happened. Um, hopefully it doesn't. I hope the Browns win. I, I, Chicago, too. They could beat Chicago. Yeah, I mean, I hope it uh, comes down. I hope they they win before that game. It doesn't come down to that. Uh, but the way this season's going, I, I, that might be our our only hope. Sadly, once again, gotta wait till week sixteen to see that first Cleveland win. Potentially, maybe, who knows? We'll find yeah. out. Maybe we'll be wrong next week. That would be lovely. But unfortunately, uh, the Browns are zero twelve. 
and the Buckeyes didn't make the playoffs. So not not the best weekend in the world, but at least the Cavs are on a hot streak and, and, and back up towards the top of the standings. But that is all the time we have for this week. Please come back next week to another, another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. You can catch up on all our old episodes by going to FenleyRoadSports.com and peruse to your heart's content. You can also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes by clicking the icon in the upper right-hand corner of FenleyRoadSports.com or search for Fenley Road Sports on iTunes and click Click Talk. It is just that simple. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram by searching Fenley Road Sports. We thank you for your support. Hope you come back next week for another episode of Click Talk. And until then... Go Browns. Let's go. Let's get this win. And go Cavs. Hopefully we're talking about 15 straight on Monday as well. All right. I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.